X-Ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Jefferson Smith from Portland, Oregon. It is Thursday, August 20th. A good day to subscribe to The Local to share with friends. The inimitable editor, Will Romy, will be back with us on Monday. We could surprise him with a few more subscribers, maybe a kind post somewhere like on social media. Today, back in the day, on or about August 20th, 1619, 20 or so Angolans forcibly disembarked at Point Comfort. Originally captured by Portuguese colonial forces, the captured members of the native Congo and Ndongo kingdoms were sent on a forced march through the port of Luanda, the capital of modern-day Angola. 150 of the 350 captives aboard the ship died during that crossing. 60 were kidnapped by pirates on the journey. Some were traded for food. Those arrivals in Virginia were technically sold as indentured servants, suggesting after a period of time they could legally expect to become free at the end of their contract. But despite this classification and records which indicate that some of them did eventually obtain their freedom, it is clear the Africans arriving at Point Comfort in 1619 were forced into servitude. They fit the Universal Declaration of Human Rights definition of enslaved peoples. And this was the dawn of the slave trade in the American colonies. It is an original sin of the founding of this nation for which we still have not fully atoned. And today, back in the day, August 20th, 1915, Oregon Governor Douglas McKay dedicated a stone monument to the six people who died from an explosion of a balloon bomb from Japanese forces during World War II near Klamath Falls back in 1945. X-ray. And now it's time for today's Quick Six Local Rundown. It is Thursday, August 20th. Protesters Monday night marched on the police union headquarters and allegedly tried to flood it. The 82nd night of protests for racial justice converged on North Lombard Street, where a crowd of 200 protesters blocked the streets outside the Portland Police Union's headquarters. Later in the night, protesters allegedly attempted to flood the building's basement. Around 11 o'clock, Portland police announced a possible break-in. They later found that a plywood window covering had been removed to make way for a water hose. No damage estimates have yet been reported. Police reported thrown objects and the possible use of a laser against officers, but did not declare an unlawful assembly or make any arrests. Although smoke and pepper balls were deployed, police ultimately backed away from the building. At 11.45 p.m., Letha Winston, whose son was fatally shot by Portland police in 2018, asked protesters to march around the neighborhood. She said, quote, sitting down ain't getting justice. However, most protesters chose to keep their position around the headquarters. Far-right activist Joey Gibson also made an appearance and argued with a group of protesters. That exchange ended without violence when police arrived on the scene. Monday night's demonstration was not the first at the Portland Police Association's headquarters. Protesters have previously lit fires around the building and attempted to break in. Residents near the PPA headquarters have voiced their concerns about the recurring protests, especially the use of tear gas by police, which sometimes leaks into open windows. In other protest news, a far-right protester fired two rounds at a Black Lives Matter demonstration last Saturday. The protester was part of a right-wing flag-waving event downtown, which became violent when the group engaged BLM activists at the event. Some of the right-wing protesters were visibly armed with paintball guns, handguns, and rifles. The two groups exchanged threats, mace, and paintball rounds during a march. Afterward, two shots were fired from a car as it left a parking garage on 4th Avenue. Nobody was injured, and a 9mm casing was recovered by BLM protesters at the scene. The shots were captured on video, and the police have opened an investigation. 
Several protesters and freelance journalist Laura Jadid recognized the shooter as Skylar Jernigan, a prominent right-wing activist seen at other protests in Portland. Here's your daily dose of data. The Oregon Health Authority announced 237 new cases of COVID-19 on Tuesday and nine deaths related to the virus. That brings Oregon's total reported cases to 23,676 and the total deaths to 397. Multnomah County reported 29 new cases, Washington Washington County reported 25, and Clackamas County reported 11. Cases remain high in Marion County, which reported 48 new cases. According to the OHA's most recent testing report, test positivity is, quote, relatively stable, and cases are no longer on a significant rise. However, Oregon is still above the 5% threshold for reopening schools. Last week's report showed a positivity rate of 5.4%. OHA also announced a new partnership that should help increase testing capacity. It should also reduce the number of samples being shipped out of state. Speaking of testing, yesterday OHA made new recommendations for who should get tested. Now anyone who has been in contact with someone that needs tested positive should be tested, regardless of whether or not they show active symptoms. They're also encouraging those in particularly affected groups such as migrant workers to get tested. The same goes for those who work in high-risk environments such as prisons and hospitals. More information about where and how to get tested can be found on OHA's website. Nike will still offer its employees their annual bonus despite huge losses. Nike has long paid its 12,000 Portland area employees an annual bonus based on the company's profits. Those bonuses often add up to $15,000 or more per employee. Given that Nike lost $790 million in the fourth quarter, many employees worried their bonuses may be on the line. However, new CEO John Donahoe opted to award the full bonus to eligible employees anyway. The bonus will likely help other businesses in the area which benefit from the sudden cash injection each year. However, Nike is still expected to make significant layoffs in the coming months. They have already informed the state that they will let go of at least 500 employees. Nike executives also voted to maintain their bonuses as usual. For his first bonus as CEO, Donahoe received $6.75 million. State legislators will spend $105 million of federal funds on personal protective equipment despite sharp criticisms. Over half of the Oregon legislature has openly denounced the state's decision to spend federal funds on PPE. The plan was passed on Monday by the legislature's emergency board, an interim panel that meets between sessions. That board is composed of members from both houses and both parties. 47 lawmakers, including 18 Democrats, signed a letter criticizing the decision. In it, they argue that local government should be able to spend federal funds on their own priorities. Instead, they say that the state has created, quote, significant statewide inequities. The emergency board, on the other hand, argued that the state has more buying power for PPE than local governments. The state has long met with criticism from Republicans and Democrats regarding its handling of federal COVID relief. Of the $1.63 billion of federal aid that Oregon received, $625 million was meant for local governments outside the Portland area. However, the state government has held a firm grip on those funds. Currently, local governments can only access $200 million in aid through a reimbursement program. Another $200 million is earmarked for state spending on necessities such as PPE. Some in the legislature worry that the state is unequally favoring Portland in its distribution of funds. Senate Minority Leader Fred Girard 
called the interim panel's decision, quote, grossly unfair and said the local government should be more involved in the distribution of aid money. A Portland family's boat sank during a pro-Trump boat parade on Sunday. Wakes created by dozens of pro-Trump boats swamped a family's boat in downtown Portland. Officials have confirmed that the family was not participating in the parade. Video of the incident has gone viral and shows the family crying for help as their boat sinks into the Willamette River. It also shows the parade creating significant waves, despite the downtown area being a no-wake zone. In the video, a pro-Trump boat moves in to help the family. On Facebook, those rescuers later claimed that the family had too many people on their boat and thus did not sink due to excessive waves. Representatives for the boat parade made similar claims and did not take responsibility for the sinking. No injuries were reported and no further investigations are expected. Good news is Powell's flagship store in downtown Portland will partially reopen on Friday. The green and blue rooms of the iconic bookstore will soon be open to the public. Selections will include new arrivals, bestsellers, gift items, and the full literature section. Following state guidelines, capacity will be limited and masks will be required. It will also limit their hours to 12 to 6 p.m. Wednesday through Sunday. In a statement, company CEO Emily Powell called the limited reopening a, quote, experiment following the successful reopening of their Cedar Hills location in Beaverton. Powell also wrote that surviving the pandemic as a brick and mortar shop is, quote, no small task. In March, Powell's laid off 85% of its workers, and in July, they permanently closed their PDX locations. They have since relied on online and pickup orders to make ends meet. The partial reopening of their flagship location, a true Portland landmark, is a welcome step towards normalcy. And that's today's Quick 6 that's Local right. Rundown. And today we have an interview with Eric Delahoy, one of the Oregon delegates to the Democratic National Convention, happening right now. Emily Gilliland and Eric cover what you need to know. X-ray. In Oregon, we have sent 74 delegates representing the state in this year's convention, all experiencing the convention online. And today we have Oregon delegate Eric Delahoy here to tell us more. Good morning, Eric. Good morning. Um, welcome from the Democratic National Convention, a.k.a. my living room. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. We are. I am so excited to talk to you about what your experience has been like this year. So you're representing Oregon as a delegate for former Vice President Joe Biden. You're, you're already involved in the community, involved in the party. What are some of the things you hope to learn during this convention? I think, you know... Maybe it was, it's not so much about what to learn. I mean, there are definitely some things I wanted to learn. I wanted to see what, you know, was going on inside. I wanted to um, be part of, you know, how seeing how the roll call worked. I don't know if you were tuning in last night, but I, I absolutely loved the virtual um, roll call where we got to see, you know, such a diversity of voters from around the country and different scenes. And of course, um, the Oregon contingent did a fantastic job. Our, our co-chairs, um, um, Rosa Colquitt and uh, Travis Nelson did an excellent job of leading our delegation and um, doing the roll call. Um, I think for me, the, the main piece was really just to get acquainted with a lot of other folks. Um, mm -hmm. One of the, the most beautiful parts um, and challenging parts of the Democratic Party is that we're a big tent and there's so many different um, experiences that come in um, to make policy and um, to be able to listen to other folks and understand perspectives and have that impact, you know, how you 
um, you know, look at policy or how you support different candidates in the future is, is super valuable. So um, that's the piece that I didn't think I was going to get as much of, and I've been pleasantly surprised that we've been able to do some connecting activities. And so, you know, the expectation was folks were going to be in Wisconsin together. There'd be lots of meetings in addition to the, the big keynotes at night. But what does a typical day look like in a virtual DNC? Sure. So um, I thought I would like juxtapose that with what uh, we were planning on in terms of an in-person day. And so these are really, really long days. Um, you get up super early, you have a delegate breakfast, and that's when you get your credentials that will allow you into the convention space. Um, and then um, you kind of talk about the day's events. And then um, there are a lot of caucus meetings um, for different groups. So there's a you know, black caucus, there's a labor caucus, an LGBTQ caucus, um, other meetings that might be of interest. Um, there sometimes are trainings. Um, and then you go to the floor and that's where you see the convention speeches and you're doing the votes um, and those particular things. And our role really as delegates, um, we have three, role, or three votes that we do. We vote for the presidential nominee, we vote for the vice presidential nominee, and then we vote to support the Democratic platform. Um, this year there was a rules change, so um, we only voted for the president in the platform. So in the virtual environment, we get up, but not quite as early, which is actually nice because I'm not a morning person at all. So, you know, having to check in at nine o'clock is much better than 6.30. Um, and um, I've tried to make some Joe and Kamala pancakes in the morning. Joe went really well yesterday because the letters were easier. Um, Kamala was a complete disaster today. So I have, you know, <laughs> one more day to try it. Um, but in any case, um, then, so we, we get a briefing in the morning from Candy, who is our Democratic Party um, kind of uh, staff member, and then what we do is that we can go to different caucuses, things like that. Um, the Democratic Party of Wisconsin, though, this year put on um, is putting on a campaign school, um, which is kind of cool. So it's, it's to help people understand the inner workings of campaigns if they want to just volunteer and know why they're volunteering. Um, if you want to run a campaign or you want to run yourself. Um, and so they're putting a lot of great things together. And then we've put together um, programs every afternoon before the speaking part of the convention and so like yesterday we gathered with um, delegates from Kansas, Maine, Michigan, um, I know I'm leaving out a state in there, um, but oh, and New Mexico, um, all states that have women governors. Um, and then so we had breakouts with folks in those states and then we had an hour long program of the Democratic women governors, um, which was fantastic. So, um, so, so we've really been able to actually have those connective experiences that I was worried that we wouldn't. So it, it's yeah. been, a, like I said, a terrific experience. And so you've given us a, a taste of some of your reflections and some of your experience, but I, just generally, what are your reflections, especially of the prime time that some other folks might have experienced as well? You know, I, I didn't know what to expect with prime time, um, you know, and of course, the biggest thing I was looking forward to was just being on that convention floor with all the noise and all the energy and how everyone just feeds off of that. And, and I didn't know if that excitement would come through in the virtual, you know, kind of or in the uh, pre-planned program and the, you know, the live events um, on screen. And it actually, I think, gave the Democratic Party an opportunity to really craft a, a well put together story. Um, and to be able to actually showcase voices 
in their in natural environments, uh, mm -hmm. you know. And so um, I was particularly moved just by the roll call um, yesterday, like I said. And um, having been someone um, who was actually um, in the middle of the Matthew Shepard, um, you know, murder and everything around that, um, having mm -hmm. been with the community center in Northern Colorado, it was incredibly poignant and moving to see the final delegates before um, Delaware went, the final delegates cast um, for um, Joe Biden um, by the Shepard family. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that connection was great, but I really loved when the, the party brought together everyday voices, you know, and mm -hmm. just the voters and the stories and the experiences. And so I, I felt yesterday was really fantastic. The first day, there were a couple of glitches here and there, but, you know, we all live in COVID world and Zoom time. So, you know, I think we're all used to that. And so um, I'm looking forward to tonight and uh, seeing Kamala Harris um, along with um, a lot of other great players. Yeah, absolutely. I, th I think the roll call for me so far, and, you know, we're just halfway in, the roll call for me really... Um, highlighted the opportunity that we have in this format. Um, we were talking a little bit earlier on the show about how you know does does this feel more accessible as a format or less so? Um, because of course there is that energy on the convention floor that some folks have been able to experience, and there's nothing that could match that. But for me, being able to see the diversity of our country and the voices that are being presented, and even just the geographic. Um, locales that were chosen for the roll call for me feels like this is a more accessible uh, format for folks and and I think now more than ever we need that unifying sense we need that sense of the of the size and scale of this party and the diversity of voices and a, a, a reconnection to values and what's possible because the news right now is just so overwhelming with the polarization the negativity the the bullying um, from this administration that I'm just so grateful for a change in tone that is hopeful and inspirational. Absolutely. You know, I, I was I was thinking about this last night, um, you know, going in last week was probably one of the hardest weeks that I feel like I've had um, leading into the election. You know, mm -hmm. we get all the information about, um, you know, um, the post office, you know, sabotage and the removal of, of uh, mailboxes and sorting machines and all that stuff. And I'm just like, oh, my God, it's, it's just so much. And then you go and you see all these people who have this energy and this passion and this vision on really what's best for this country and bringing as many people in as possible and as many voices and experiences and then you see the energy that develops around that that was really fantastic um you know when you when you asked about the virtual part of the convention when i was i was kind of nervous at, at first when it first started and like oh no you know don't have that zoom crash that we've all experienced you know i'm like oh no what's going to happen and suddenly you start with the Pledge of Allegiance and then you have all of these young people of mm -hmm. every color, size, background, you know, location come together to sing the national anthem. And everyone on, you know, we're all texting back and forth and we're like, oh my God, we're just waterworks, you know, we're crying and that's what it's all about. And so it actually get, um, gave me and hopefully the rest of the country that needed kind of jolt um, to embolden mm -hmm. them as they go into these final weeks into the election. Yeah. Now, you mentioned that you've been going to caucus meetings. I saw you post that you got to hear Pete Buttigieg speak yesterday in the LGBTQIA plus uh, caucus. Uh, what was that like? What did he have to say? 
Um, so, um, and I was, I started out as a PDX repeater. So, uh, <laughs> um, and so it was really exciting and I'm super, super thrilled to be behind Joe Biden because everyone's come together and support him. And, um, he was talking about, they were actually talking about, so it was actually Pete and Chaston. Um, and, and I saw them in, um, the LGBTQ caucus. I think Pete will speak tomorrow night in prime time. And, um, what was great it is. Um, someone brought up the idea that it's almost like we're having um, visual fireside chats with people mm-hmm. instead of this having to project over this large, you know, audience in front of you. There's a different tonality that goes into that. There's a different style of communication. And so, you know, Pete and Chaston were just basically having this little conversation with each other and with us. And it was like being, well, we were seeing them in their living room, but it was actually like we were in that living room. Mm-hmm. Um, even going to Michelle Obama's speech on uh, Monday was phenomenal. I mean, I think Michelle Obama is the absolute most gifted speaker I have ever seen in my lifetime. And she has knocked it out of the park the last, you know, four um, conventions um, that she's spoken at. And, but what I found fascinating was that even though this was on TV and it was recorded and she was speaking to a camera, the emotion that came through and the way she was able to emote was just unparalleled to anything I could see. And you just felt like, okay, Michelle's got us, we've got Michelle, we've got each other and and we can, you know, do the hard work to make sure that everything turns out well in November. Um, So it's been, it's been a fascinating experience, obviously. Yeah, so, if you could see me, there's a grin from, you know, like ear to ear going on right now. It's true. I can see it. It is real. Yeah. Absolutely. So you mentioned tonight the vice president pick Kamala Harris will be speaking. Michelle's husband will also be speaking. Uh, former President Barack Obama. Tomorrow night, there's a heck of a lineup. You've mentioned Pete Buttigieg. Um, I'm excited to hear Senator Cory Booker speak. Um, and some other uh, senator, um, or former Secretary of State, former Senator Hillary Clinton, I believe is tonight as well. What are you looking forward to in the next two days and two nights? Um, certainly the evening sessions, but I've really loved the sessions that we have beforehand. Like um, even the the um, party has put together like a signature cocktail and a snack to make, although I have not done either of those. I just go with a little wine. It's so much easier and you don't have to clean up later. Um, but um, I'm looking forward to we're doing I think it's t- tonight is um, all the Western states we're getting together for um, we'll have like a, a program program first and then we'll have breakouts again. And so, you know, new new friends, new faces from around the country. Um, absolutely. Um, I'm really looking forward to I think you'll see over the next couple of days a layout of even more policy. You saw some policy last night, um, specifically around healthcare and also um, around national defense or foreign policy. Um, and I think you'll see that rolled out um, pretty clearly. Uh, I think the first night established that this is about the American people. Um, and also, this is what we're up against. You know, um, as Michelle said, someone who clearly is not up to the job, it is what it is. Um, you know, and so I think we've made that case and now making the case to everyone else, they need to get out and their vote. And everyone needs to vote. I mean, um, you know, and they need to vote early and they, if they're not, I mean, most everyone probably listening is in Oregon. So um, don't take it for granted that you can just put it in the mail five days in advance. They take it to a ballot box or ballot drop box or mail it right away as soon as you get it. um, So you can make sure it's counted. I think the uh, Republican Party and Democrat and uh, uh, Donald Trump um, are trying to depress turnout so then he can call um, basically the validity of the election um, into question if he 
loses, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we want to make sure we win the popular vote as well um, as the electoral vote. Um, so there's no question. And so everyone needs to get out. Just get out and vote, because if you don't, you may not have it. Yeah. What do you hope? So unfortunately, this will be over in the blink of an eye. What do you hope to bring back to Oregon at the end of this convention in this next phase before the November election? Um, I think that what I thought I would bring back and what I'm going to bring back are two different things. And I I think, um, you know, I thought I would just, uh, you know, bring back all this information and everything else. But what I'm really bringing back is a renewed sense of motivation um, that, you know, I filled the tank up um, and am ready to really dive in and do everything I can um, for the election. Um, I'm going to adopt another state. We should all adopt a swing state and do some calling and texting. You can even order postcards. And if you want to do something that's non, you know, having to call and and talk to someone, you can do that. Um, And I'm also going to make sure that I adopt a couple of our local races because our local races are really critical too. You know, we often think about, you know, the presidential election and how important that is. But we have a secretary of state uh, race here uh, with Shamia Fagan. who, um, you know, well, that's who I'm supporting <laughs> um, in any case, but we have a really critical, um, you know, race that's statewide, plus we have a lot of seats, and we want to make sure um, that we create an environment where um, part of the legislature doesn't just walk out when they don't like something, um, mm-hmm. and so it, it's really critical that we vote down ballot not just the sexy up top, you know, kind of races. And so I'm just really enthused and and excited to dive into all of that and get no sleep until hopefully some really good sleep after November 3rd. Right. Now, I know you've got to jump to a very long day of meetings and all online. And so I want to give you a break. But one last question for you is what's bringing you the most hope for November? Um. You know, I think, well, honestly, um, being at the convention certainly has to see how many people um, are just so enthused and know that, um, you know, for a lot of folks, Joe Biden wasn't their top choice, you know, to begin with. There was such an incredibly talented field, um, but for the field to coalesce and the supporters of that supporters of that field to coalesce around Joe Biden as their candidate is fantastic. Um, I'm not feeling the um, intra-party kind of stuff that we were seeing in 2016, so that mm-hmm. gives me a lot of hope. Frankly, also, you know, I'm a college counselor, so the kids I work with give me hope. You know, they're talking about the election. They're talking about how they can get involved. And um, it's a really good parents who are listening, your students who need um, some college stuff. Um, A good way to, um, you know, since they can't play soccer now, they can get involved in campaigns and that can go on their college application, you know, to to get them engaged and involved. And, um, And frankly, also just seeing people that I've never seen involved in elections before becoming involved. I'm feeling really good about November, very optimistic, but we all got to get out. We got to vote and it's not enough for us to vote. We have to make sure that we get our neighbors and our family members and the person you run into at the line at New Seasons to get their ballots in. I love that. And if folks don't know how to get involved, they want to adopt a state, they want to send postcards, they want to text bank, where would you send them? Um, I would go to, um, well, you can, first of all, you can go to Democratic Party of Oregon, um, for sure. And that's where you can see a lot of information on getting involved. Um, You can also go, um, I think, I can't remember what the organization is, but there's an organization about swing states. Um, Or you can go right to that particular state's Democratic Party, um, and they'll tell you how you can get involved um, from there. So there's just so many ways. Um, Just 
Google, how can I get involved in the election? And, and you're going to you know, be able to go down a rabbit hole of opportunities. Excellent. Eric, thank you so much for making the time. Thank you for your service right. to the state of Oregon. And I hope that you have a very successful and inspiring rest of the convention. Great. Thanks, Emily. It's been nice to, to chat with you today. Yes. Thank you so much, Eric. That was Eric Delahoy. He's representing Oregon as a delegate for the Democratic National Convention. Thanks to Eric for joining The Local, and thank you for listening to The Local. Your hometown at about 30 minutes. Thanks for subscribing, getting a five-star review, and thank you, Democracy. Talk to you tomorrow. X-Ray.